it's time to start our last sessions of God is Healer. And I hope that everything that we've shared, that it's kind of got you to start thinking and, and looking at Scripture differently because that's the whole goal. Um, I've given you enough to get you started to look at Scripture according to God's nature instead of what we're trying to get from Him or we're trying to coerce from Him or anything like that. And as we, we focus in today on a new nature, the because of our new nature, we have we're we're a new creation. And so we're gonna go be going through several scriptures and we're going to a lot of scriptures actually and showing you exactly how this was understood. It was meant in the New Testament and we've been missing it because it's it, we've been looking at it from the prospect or the, the aspect of um, our identity in Christ instead of Christ in us and what that means. Okay, so it's a combination of both, uh, but it's looking at it from a different angle because when you begin to look at it as Christ in us, then it's what is Christ doing in us and through us and, and, and by us, right? Compared to, okay, I'm, I, I'm um, in Christ, like the other side, I have identity in Christ. It's like, okay, what exactly does that mean? And a lot of people don't go into detail. They don't, they, they explain what it is, and they're, they're actually explaining my side, which I'm presenting to you today. But they try to say, well, it's, it's what you get from God. And then it's wrong mentality, wrong mindset all over again. And it just leads down into failure. And so when you understand who you are in Christ and the importance of, again, not focusing in on dominion and authority, because that's a byproduct that naturally happens out of God's nature. And as we focus in on him and us and what that means and how that changes things, then it becomes very big, right? So what am I saying? Is there an importance to us being in Christ Jesus? Yes, Scripture says in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We have to understand his nature, his character, and that he is in us. And it, and it creates um, a shift of paradigm. It's very small, but it makes all the difference. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Um, it's like to welcome you all. I'm very excited to, to be sharing this information with you. It's things I've been studying out and just been talking with God about, and it's, it's completely changed how I think, how I handle situations. And even, you know, as we go out, you know, it's, it's not hard to see people healed. It's not. It's, it's not me trying to perform. It's not me trying to gain acceptance from God or anything like that. It's just completely trusting him, letting him flow through me and, and impact the person. And we see it on a regular basis, and it's it's a lot of fun. Today I went to the post office and saw a lady, asked her how she was doing, and she actually stopped and then started dialoguing with me. And it, it was just very small. She was just talking about how she had been robbed of her peace and of her joy. And I was like, oh, I go, then right now, in Jesus' name, peace and joy, you come back. And she just looked at me, she's like, thank you, I needed that. Yes, just shake it off, you know, <laughs> shake off the, the stuff that had robbed her peace. And then she was all happy and getting, and she continued on her, her way. But you see how just simple things that we, we commonly overlook because we're in a rush, we're in a hurry, we miss the very heart and the aspect of God and what he's telling us. Okay, so Father God, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time. 
We thank you that we're able to dive into your word. And from it, we're able to view everything else. And this is so important, so key, that we, we see your heart, we see your nature, and from your nature, we see your word and everything else. In Jesus' name, Lord, give us give us revelation, give us understanding, give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and start off in 1 Corinthians 6, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, because in verses 19 and 20, yes, I understand the context. He's talking about don't commit, you know, uh, sexual immorality or anything like that. But what I want to home in on is verses 19 and 20, because the principle that is being um, articulated to the Corinthian church is very key is very important with everything I'm about to build for you. So understand, you've heard all these scriptures before. It's not like you haven't heard them. You've heard them all before, but look at how I view them through the understanding of God's nature. So here, verse 19, do, do you not know that your bodies are, the, are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who, who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Right? We can even see in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice is what we find in that verse. And so when we look at it, exactly what is it saying? How do we do that? How do we accomplish that? And it's understanding that on our own ability, it's impossible. We wouldn't be able to do it. We'd fail. And we look at like 1 Peter, it says, be holy as I am holy. God tells us to be holy as he's holy. How is that even possible? If he just wiped away our sins, okay. But then the devil can make us sin again. He can make us stumble again. What about when you start doubting God's nature and his word? Right? Because you understand his word is just an extension of his character, who he is, his nature. So when we look at this, we have to see it as his nature, through his nature, that he is completely pure, holy, righteous, right? Holy means pure, actually, if we actually go back into Hebrew and, and look at the, the dynamics of it. It means completely pure. There's no spot. There's no blemish. There's, there's nothing lacking. He's perfect, right? So when we look at this, and what it's saying is like our bodies aren't even our own. They belong to Jesus Christ. They belong to the Holy Spirit because we are his temples. So when he flows through us, it's not us trying to make something happen. It's just God, you know, flowing through us because we belong to him. We're his sons. We're his daughters um, in, in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't happen outside of Christ Jesus. You won't find that anywhere in scripture. So you have to understand there's conditions that need to be met in order for the promises to apply. But let's continue on. I'm trying not to get sidetracked. There's there's a lot of good stuff I want to cover here. So we we can agree, you know, John 1, uh, verse 12, says, Yet to all who did receive him, and it, it doesn't, it's not just past tense, because if it was just past tense, then it wouldn't apply to us, right? Not even the Calvinists can get away with this one, because they would have to admit that, um, this is written to the church back then, and it wouldn't apply to us today, 
right? So it, it actually is an erst form or erst uh, form here. So it's as many as receive him, did receive him and will receive him, right? To those who believed in his name, who did, re, who, who did believe, will, will believe and do believe, right? In his name, he gives, he gave and he will give the right to become children of God. So it's believing in him as we put our trust in him, then his spirit comes in and dwells in us, right? We can see that clearly in Acts 2.38. We're not going to get into, you know, is it, a, is it two parts? Is it this? No, no, no. Let's, let's look at it holistically. Let's look at it as this is the whole package. You know, you believe in Christ Jesus, you're immersed into him, and his spirit comes and dwells in you and lives in you and changes your very nature, okay? So let's, let's skip over to, to, to Romans 6. I'm doing a lot of skipping, okay? Romans 6, in verse 6, it says, For we know that our old selves was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should, we should no longer be slaves to sin. So this is very important because, like I said, if he just forgave us of sin, then the devil can make us sin again. But what did he do? He, God united us with Christ in his death, but also in his resurrection, right? So when we, when we're going to get to Romans 8 in a second, you're going to see what I'm telling you. So we can see that the Spirit of God comes in, he brings his nature, he brings as a byproduct his power that allows us to live above sin. Because if, sin, if we're slaves to sin, because anybody you yield your members to, you become slaves of. You become slaves of righteousness or you become slaves of sin. It's that simple. So whatever you do, it's it's not, you understand what I'm saying? This is not a, a an excuse to continue sinning. No, no, no. This is, I'm showing you that God's giving you his very nature, which has no sin, so that you can live above sin instead of falling into it. And so this is why this is good news. Because when you begin to understand that his spirit comes and abides in us and brings his nature then he changes us at our heart level, which we can see in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, that he's given us a new heart with this new covenant. He's given, he's, it says he's writing, he writes his laws on our hearts and our minds. Okay? This wasn't before. This is part of the new covenant. We can, we can find that in Hebrews 8 as well as Hebrews 10. But we go back to, to Romans 6 and and I'm trying not to actually, because I can do a whole teaching just on Romans 6 and Colossians 2 and 3, which we're going to get to as well. Because of what's being said, what, what's actually happening, because when you, when you yield your members to righteousness, when you yield your members to the Holy Spirit, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to Jesus, then sin has no hold on you. It can't touch you. It can't come near you. Why? Because your mind is completely focused on righteous things. We can see it also in Philippians 4, right? So as you focus on righteous things, things are worthy and trustworthy and, I mean, of good report and honorable and, you know, all these good things that he tells us to think about, to meditate on, it, all of, everything that is mentioned there is Jesus, right? So as we focus on Jesus, we become like him that's the way we're designed 
So understand, we have this new nature, which is by the Holy Spirit, that allows us to see everything else through an unblemished nature. That's why Jesus said, to him who is pure, all things are pure. Right? So when we look at this, it, it makes a huge difference because you'll, you'll see here in a second, if we're buried with Christ and we're alive with him, we're, we're alive in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. So there's a newness that comes with it. It's not like the old. It's not, it's not um, basically tainted. Yeah, it's the only word I can, I, can, I can see for that or come up with for that. It's not tainted by the fall. But it's new. It's new. It's fresh. It's 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 something that I hadn't been thought thought about before, uh, because you understand. You know, I've shared this last time with you, is that nowhere in Old Testament or New Testament does it say that the Holy Spirit came and abided in people until Jesus Christ. Right. So He would come and go. He would move them, right, to right. But we're the only ones that he, the Holy Spirit comes on us, and as a and and with that He brings His nature into us as we partake of His great and precious promise, promises, right? One of those great and precious promises is a, is a is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to Colossians three, and we're going to read one through three real quick. It says, "Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts." On things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is exactly what I was just sharing with you. Okay? Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what happens, and we can see this over and over in Scripture, the picture that they're, that they're giving is that we, we kind of melt into Christ. Right? It says... That we, he who is joined to the Lord, or united with the Lord, becomes one spirit with him. So it's no longer one and one, and this one comes over here and moves this one like a puppet. No, 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 no. It's it's one and one, and they become, they're two, right? And they become one, and they move together as one, right? So we understand that his nature, his character, it's him in us that makes the difference. His light destroys all darkness. So for us to abide in him, we can't stay dark. You see, you see the where I'm getting at here? We can't stay dark because he's in us. Because he's in us, then his nature rubs off on us because whatever you hang around is what you become. That's why it tells you take counsel with, with wise men. You want to surround yourself with wise people. You want to, if you want to become a successful businessman, surround yourself with successful businessmen, not just businessmen who are barely making it. Find out what they're doing to be successful. And you hang around with them. You start talking like them. You start thinking like them and everything else. We could also see this with teenagers. Perfect example. Teenagers, right, they hang around their friends. And so they start talking like them. They start acting like them. They start dressing like them. They start doing all these things just like them. Because why? why? Why do we do this? It's because we've been created this way. We've been created to whatever we put our minds on, that's what we imitate. That's what we become. 
And so the only thing that's supposed to be set before us in our mind is supposed to be set on, excuse me, is Jesus Christ. It, it's very simple. It's not hard. It is so easy when you understand exactly what it's saying here. And so he says, for you've died, your life is now hidden in Christ Jesus. Right? And we can skip over to Galatians 3, 27 through 28. It says, for all of you were baptized, which means immersed, right? So let's let's tackle that very quickly. So when you go to wash your dishes in the sink, you immerse your dishes in the sink. Okay? So you're immersed into Christ Jesus and have clothed. Oh, excuse me. Have closed your, yourselves with Christ. Well, how how does that happen? How does a, a dish get clothed with water? Right? It's completely immersed into the dish water. And it's the same thing with us. However, with us, the, the word used for immerse doesn't just mean to surround and, and to um, become soaking wet. It actually means to change the very nature of the thing. And so what we see the example of is dye, right? So if you take cloth, and you were to dip cloth into dye, it doesn't just color the outside, it colors the inside of each thread. So we would take the cloth apart, thread by thread, and we cut each thread, you would see the dye goes to the very core, right? And it's the same understanding of what they're saying and being clothed in Christ, which actually means to adopt, the word clothed there means to adopt his mindset, his will, his emotions, his actions as if your own. And you can find that in the theirs. So it breaks it down to the understanding of what's being portrayed or what's being said by being clothed in Christ Jesus. So if you listen to what I just said, you know, we're, we're kind of stumbling into the mind of Christ, which um, we can easily go into because when you know his nature, you have an understanding of his nature then it's very easy for you to enter into the mind of Christ because you know exactly how he would think in a situation, what he would do in a situation. This is why it says we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say we try to obtain or we earn or we do anything else to get the mind of Christ. It says you already have it if you're in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you're fully immersed in him. And you have access to all things. And that's why we see also in 1 John 2, 20 and 27, that he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, right? Which we can see clearly from Acts 10, 38, that, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, Holy, with the Holy Spirit, right? So who's the anointing? It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's very simple. Okay. I told you, very easy to get caught off in all kinds of bunny trails. And it says... And there is neither Jew, so we're in Galatians 3.28 now. It says, there is neither Jew nor, nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we look at this, we have to understand that we are one in Christ Jesus because he has brought us together. He's the one who has united our, our natures together. And it's not about what you see on the outside or skin or race or, or preference or identity or, or whatever. It's the understanding of who he is that makes us, makes us one. 
So I'm not looking at, at, at oh, I'm going to identify, because this is real big right now, right? Oh, I'm going to identify as Christ. Yep, yep, I identify as a Christian now. And so I'm going to do all the Christian things. But it doesn't mean your heart has changed. You're going to be doing it just because that's the newest fad. That's the newest thing. There's no depth of revelation and understanding of Christ in you, the expectation of glory. Right? So because that's where we're heading with this whole, you know, everybody teaching about identity in Christ, identity in Christ, instead of looking at his very nature of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's about Christ. It's not about us. Do you understand this? Because if we're in him, then he permeates through us. He fills us up. And from him, we see and we interact with everyone around us. That's why we're an ambassador of Christ. We represent his heart. We represent his mind and his will towards the people of the earth. Because we're a king. We're in the kingdom of God. We represent his kingdom. And so we, when we view everything from this perspective, it's not trying to earn or, or trying to say, well, uh, I failed in my identity in Christ or, or anything like that, because then it becomes works-based. Instead of looking at Christ and his nature being in you and changing you from the inside out. Do you understand? This is, this is why this is so key. This is so, so important. And then we can look at 1 Peter 2.9. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you're no longer in darkness. You're in his wonderful light. And that we are a special possession of his. But we're a chosen people a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So all these things happen how? Because the only way we can abide in his presence, the only way we can stay in, in with him and in him is because of his nature in us. That's why it's all by grace. You, you see, it's unmerited favor. It's something we didn't earn. It's something we, we worked towards or that we made happen. And that's why it's solely based on trust. So when you get the revelation, the understanding that all faith means is trust, and you go back and you read through Hebrews 11, trust. Now trust is, right? And we can quote the whole verse, and then we can go to the next, next one where it says, you know, you have to trust in God. Let's go. Let's go. Let's just go there. Okay. Because I want you to fully understand what it's what it's saying here in Hebrews 11. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, now trust is the assurance of things expected. Remember, hope is not there. It's the word expectation. The word hope today means maybe yes, maybe no. But it's the expectation. It means for certain it's going to happen. See the difference? The, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Right? By trust, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right? And we can skip down a bit. 
And it says, and verse six, and without trust, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is, and he rewards those who seek him. So again, we can see it, it's all by trust. We enter into grace. We enter into Christ by simply trusting what? We trust that he lived a perfect life. He, he, he died for us. He was buried and he was resurrected. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. And that we are in him and we are seated with him in heavenly places. Right? We can find that in Ephesians 2.6. I mean, when you go through and you break this down and you begin to understand everything that God is saying that we have in him and, and, and by him, and it's because of his nature growing up in us, um, because we grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ, right? So we grow into his nature, and it, it starts changing everything. It starts changing how we think. It starts changing how we handle things, different situations, everything, right? So we, we look at Jesus, and he, he gave us two commandments, two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So in the church, we've emphasized the first commandment. But in Western, and this is what I was sharing with the discipleship team today, is in, in Western civilization, in, in actually probably all over the world, we have ta been taught by the world to loathe ourselves. So we don't even know how to love ourselves with the love of a God. And we put value on everyone else and not value on ourselves, who God puts value in. Do you see this? He's no respecter of persons. He's not partial. He's like, well, I'm, I'm going to heal people through you, but I'm not going to heal you. No, 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 no. doesn't say that anywhere. It's for all. If he does it for one, he does it for all 100% of the time. And it's getting rid of all the doubt, all the experiences, everything else that objects in your mind and say, no, no, no. Jesus did it for all. He healed them all. We can go back to the, to the manual and you can see he healed them all 100% of the time. He cast out demons with the word. Do you see this? So it's, it's so important that we understand the very nature that God has placed in us, causing us to be a new creation that has never existed before because we're the only creation that he's ever created that carries his nature. Do you see this? Man, I'm telling you, as I'm going through this and God's been revealing these different things to me, it's just like, wow, this, this makes it so much easier to whenever you go to pray. Whenever you, whenever you go to do different things, because we can see in 1 John 5, 15, that if we know his will, which we know his will because we have the mind of Christ, we're in Christ Jesus, we have his word, we have his commandments, right? And all we have to do is be obedient, and we know we're in his will. That any anything we pray, he hears us. And if, if he hears us, we know we have the answers we ask of him. And so this is so key and so important that we look at this and be like, God, 
You're so amazing. You did everything. You made this so simple. The only thing I have to do is trust. The only thing I have to do is completely surrender. So one of the questions we've been getting this past week is how do we surrender? How do, how do I surrender? It's easy. It's easy. Just throw yourself on Jesus. <laughs> you trust him. You look at his character through his word and you say, God, I trust you. The problem that you face in the past is you've read his word and you've looked in the church and you say, well, I don't see this in the church. And then you begin to view God through the lens of the church instead of, instead of the lens of his own word. Because when you look through the lens of his word, you begin to see exactly what he's saying, exactly what he wants, exactly how his heart is towards us and to everyone around us. And it changes everything because out of his nature, out of the love he has for us, we're supposed to love others. But we have to understand that love for ourselves first. See, so understand, can I pray, if I don't have this revelation, can I pray for somebody and see him healed and not be healed in my own body? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because of his grace. But that's not the way he designed it. He designed it for you to experience his love so much because of his nature, because of his character, because of who he is in that relationship that's in Christ Jesus that brings you in union with the Father, that from there you bubble over and you can't help but love everybody else with that same love. You begin to see people the way God sees them. You begin to see the value that he places on each and every one of them. That he didn't sow just any son to reap a son. He sowed a perfect son without spot, without blemish, who saw millions of miracles probably, right? Because it says all the books in all the world could not contain everything that he saw in three years about. And people want a double anointing of Elijah? Please. Seriously. Wouldn't they have Jesus' anointing? The same anointing that Jesus was anointed with is the Holy Spirit. And you have, and he's abiding in you, and he's waiting for us to wake up and step into the understanding and awaken to the understanding that we have his nature. And power flows from that. And it's by relationship and being tied into, into Christ Jesus that we're, we're reconciled back to the Father. And that's why he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He hasn't given us a healing ministry. He hasn't given you a deliverance ministry. He's giving you the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling the world back to God. Reconciling bodies back to the original creation because it was made in his image. Perfect, perfect, flawless, not lacking anything. This is the way Jesus thought. He, whenever, you know, we covered it, when he, when he thought salvation, he was thinking made whole. Made back to the original form. Do you see this? Man, I'm telling you. It's kind of hard not to get pumped and excited talking about this. Because as, as you start talking about just the goodness of God, the goodness of his nature, that he wants us to experience him, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because as you, as you taste and see his nature, you can't help 
but just blossom and explode and want to share his love with people. And it's not about the past and, and do's and don'ts or anything like that, but it's by his grace, it's by his love that we can share and, and lavish love upon people, no matter how they treat us, no matter what they say to us, no matter any of that. Because they're, they're not the source of our love. They're not the source of our joy. They're not the source of our happiness. He is. Because he's come into us and he's brought every good thing with him. Because it says the promises of God towards us are yes and amen. It says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have it all. We're not missing anything. All we're doing is is awakening to the, the reality of Christ in us, the expectation of glory. It's about Christ. Even when we say we are in Christ Jesus, it's about Christ. We, we blindly say, well, I'm from this country. I am in this country, right, as a citizen of Germany or United States or Canada or, or anywhere, right, UK. But when we understand, when we wake into the understanding that we are in the kingdom of his beloved son. We are in him. And this is what changes everything. This is what changes our mindset. This is what changes so much of, of, of how we view things and how we act and how we operate. So it's no longer me stepping into a situation to say somebody see somebody healed to try to stir myself up to make something happen. It naturally flows from me because of the spirit of God. And the only way I stir myself up is I put my mind in remembrance of who he is. Put your mind in remembrance of God's nature of who he is. And that changes the whole thing. You want to stir yourself up? Look at that, because you can prove that biblically through the Psalms. Spring, sing spiritual Psalms unto the Lord, right? Go back and read Psalms. Those were songs, songs, right? And we see how David, he first started off moping and crying and and, and everything, and then by the time he gets to the end of it, he's like, put your hope in the Lord. Soul, why are you downcast? God is strong and mighty. He delivers you every single time. Right? So we see this over and over. He, he got his mind off of, yes, he vented a little bit, right? He got his mind off the situation and back on God and said, God, you're the one who delivers me. You're the one I put my expectation in. You're the one that I focus on above everything I see before me. I'm not denying that it's here. I just know that you're greater than what I'm seeing. I know that your word, your promises is greater than what I'm seeing. Mm. I'm telling you, this is stuff to get pumped about. This is stuff to get excited about. Let's go to Ephesians 1, 5, and then I'll, I'll try to wrap up with Titus 3. <laughs> so Ephesians 1, 5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We could also see that in uh, 
1 John 1 13, it's not by the will of man, the will of flesh, or anything else, but it's by the will of God. This is God's will for us, is to be his son. It's his will for us to be his offspring, to be his children. And we can, no matter, here in Texas, we have um, the same. So it doesn't matter where you're from, but I think the, the thing, um, the, the quote stands true. And that is that apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Right? And so meaning that the very nature of the parents, the, the temperaments and, and different things, not always, understand what I'm saying, because what I'm getting at is looking at it through Christ Jesus instead of our physical things. I'm just trying to draw parallels for you. Is, is that we carry the nature of our parents. We carry their temperament. We carry the, how they think and everything else because they're the ones molding us. Right, and so when we look at that, we're born, we're begotten anew in Christ Jesus in the Spirit, and He's molding us into who, who He is, His mindset, His paradigm, His actions, His thoughts, His emotions. Right. So we're birthed into Him, into sonship in Christ Jesus. And that's God's will for us. So that we grow up into the nature of him. And from that nature, we see everything else. Just like you do naturally by being born of your parents. You view everything through the lens of being around them. Or maybe you don't have a parent. You have one parent or you don't have any parents. Either way. You're molded and shaped by those who are mentoring and nurturing you, right? So this is why fellowship is so important. I fellowship with, you know, um, our team as well as, you know, people overseas on a regular basis because it helps us be challenged. It helps us um, stay true to, to what God's word is. If I'm getting off, they pull me back in, you know, if different things like that, it's accountability, it's relationships. Why do we put such a focus on relationship now? Because we understand that together we're a body. And it's it's so key, it's so important. And, and that's something that that we need to understand that all of us, you know, we I can tell you, I used to be one to um, criticize other ministries and, and, and stuff like that. Um, some of you know me, you know that I came from that kind of side. And now I look at it completely different. Now I see an arm is an arm. A foot is a foot. And if they think that they can abide by themselves outside the body of Christ, they're dead. So why don't we act as the unifying, bringing together part of the body? And that's why we're not trying to establish a church or anything. It's because there's tons of churches out there, but they're all trying to operate independent of Christ, Christ's body. We're all together, the body of Christ, and if we start working together, what can we accomplish for the kingdom? So that the hand is no longer dead because it's severed and laying on the table over there, trying to do its own thing, but it doesn't have the strength of the arm. You get what I'm saying? 
So when we look at Romans 15, 7, it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. There's a lot of people right now that don't agree with me. <laughs> but I work with them. I love them. I walk with them. Because it's the iron sharpening iron that happens as one man to another as we walk with people who don't agree with us. You know what? There's certain things I can learn from other people, and there's certain things they can learn from me. And so we can't dismiss that because it's understanding the very nature, the very grace that God has bestowed upon us. And from that, we, we see everything, and it changes our whole mindset. It changes how we act. It changes how we handle situations. Because you can't be offended. You can enter into a conversation and, and people might think you're mad, but you're not even mad because it's not you that they're arguing with. They're arguing with, with Scripture. They're arguing with God. Here in the last, last bit, I've had more people come to me and tell me that the message is too simple and that it'll never work. And I'm like, uh, too late. It's already working. I got a testimony last week, you know, from our friends in, in India where he went into a village and they saw 100% healed. 100% of everybody they laid hands on healed. Not just feeling better, healed. And it's what we've seen. Not as consistently as I would like, but it's, it's up there. It's close to it. We're pushing it. And we're growing into the, the full understanding of, of disciplining ourselves, not to think of what can I do, how do I make this happen, but just resting in him and total surrendering him and say, God, this is the only way this person can be healed is, is by your nature. Right? And we go from there, not from, oh, you know, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to exercise dominion and authority. I'm going to struggle and strive. It's like, no, no, no. Just as we read earlier. You're no longer your own. Your body's not yours. You've been bought with a price. It's his body. So you're going to exercise your authority over his body. There's so much more there, but let's let's go to Titus. Like I said, I hope I'm giving you enough that you can start chewing on to help you see the direction of God and, and what he what he wants to, to deliver to you. Because the more I'm diving into this, the more I'm looking at scripture, it's it's completely baffling me to the point where I'm just like, God, this is this is absolutely amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And I was sit, standing here in my living room a couple of nights ago and just completely humbled at what he's given us and, and things that we've taken for granted or that we've walked in ignorance towards. Because if we truly understood and if we truly begin to understand and operate out of the place of Christ in us, that the focus, the center is Christ, it's not of us, how it changes everything. And we realize, you know, even the riches of this world, you know, they're being taken care of until we need it. When we need it, we say, Father, hey, I need this. And it shows up. So here, let's, let's look at this. Uh, Titus 3, and let's start in, in verse 4. It says, 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, the loving kindness and goodness appeared. It's Jesus, right? He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the expectation of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And the reason I'm reading all this is because I want you to understand that the nature that he's giving you is to be effective and excellent in everything that we do. So when you, when you lay down your life, when you, when you decide, God, I completely surrender, not just the area of, of healing, not just the area of protection or anything else, but I completely surrender all and that you're Lord of all, because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. But I surrender all these things to you. And I trust you. I trust the promises. I, I trust in the one who gave the promises, better yet. Because you are worthy, because you are trustworthy, I trust you. Because none of your promises fall to the ground. And so we're looking at his nature. We're looking at his character. And from that, we know what we should look like. This is how we grow up into him, into Christ. This is how we grow up into him. is by looking at his nature and saying, God, this is who I'm supposed to look like. Because your word says, be holy as I am holy. And then we step into it. Right? And begin to realize it's not by our own works, but it's by the washing of regeneration of his Holy Spirit and the renewal of his Holy Spirit, which sounds like what Genesis, uh, Galatians 5, right? Being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we see there's a parallel here that, that, that he's given. It says he has poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. So that, that connection, that relationship with, with the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus has to stay consistent, has to, by abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit flows through us because he is activated by the word of God. He loves talking about his word. The more you talk to him about his word, the more he, you hear clearly his voice above everything else because you know his voice, you know his nature, you know his will, and as you come in contact with people, if you want to get words of knowledge, you want to get words of, of wisdom and different things like that, know his word, dialogue with him about his word, because this is your nature. Because we're, we're entered into Christ, and Jesus is the word made flesh, and as we do the word, we become the word made flesh by Christ Jesus, not of our own doing, not of our own ability or power, 
but it's by him and through him that it's even possible. And I can show you this in Greek. It, it clearly says it in John 1, 14. And it's amazing what, what God's given us. So we're going to go ahead and take a small break. Um, it's kind of hard to once you get rolling. As you can tell, we kind of went over a bit. We take a small break, and then we'll do uh, 30 minutes on traditions of men. Uh, we're going to actually be bringing Todd on and uh, as well. And because as we're going through the traditions of men, a lot of these you probably heard. You know, a lot of them are covered by Teal Osborne, um, FF Bosworth, and, and a bunch of other ministries, uh, except for Timothy's Stomach and uh, the Paul's Thorn that we're going to kind of look at. We're going to show you both sides of exactly what it's saying, but how we've been focusing on the wrong thing. We've been focusing on the thorn and instead of the grace of God. And so we're going to we're gonna get into all that here in this next section. So real quick, just take a take a small break, uh, about five minutes or so, and then we'll, we'll jump on again. Okay, bless you. All right. We are back. We have Brother Todd with me. And we're going to be looking at some traditions of man. Todd, is there anything on, uh, specifically on your heart that you want to share concerning uh, some of these traditions of man? About what? I didn't hear what you said. Um, I'm saying that um, is there anything in particular? that you want to discuss concerning some of these traditions of men? <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> well, because we, we list some, but we don't go into all of them. Like there's a lot more. There's always a new cow being birthed somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, well, you know, certain section you wanted to cover. I mean, just something that uh, I had thought about doing a short video yesterday, and I didn't, so but maybe it's so I can share here. I was reading through Hebrews chapter 3 yesterday, and uh, just to paraphrase what was going on, a lot of it's quoted out of Psalm 95, but it refers to the Israelites seeing all these miracles of God, and they didn't enter into the promised land because they didn't understand the ways of God. And this is where a lot of uh, traditions of men get birth from is because we, we see miracles, we hear prophetic words, and we see God's attributes, but we don't combine it with faith and we don't recognize the actual part of God's character that he's revealing to us uh, when those things happen. Sometimes it's to us personally, sometimes it's something uh, that he's revealing to the person that's being ministered to. And when we just see his, see his acts and don't move into that place of understanding his ways, then we move into, we try to develop traditions and things like that and uh, other in methods. Even in the case of, uh, there's, there's a whole segment of people that are going back into this Jewish roots thing. And I've been looking at the names of God the last couple of days. In Exodus 31, it talks about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath was given for a specific revelation that he is the Lord who sanctifies. If we look at the act, we develop a tradition out of it, and we miss the revelation of God's character and nature that he wants to do through it. Yeah, that's really good. Um, especially 
as we go back and and you see that a lot of these these names that God was revealing of Himself, uh, I was looking down at Todd <laughs> on the computer, <laughs> and so a lot of a lot of times, you know, we it's very easy to look at you know God's nature and, and miss His nature by just focusing on what's being done. And so instead of looking at the glitz and the glamour and the power aspect, because so many people, they're after power instead of instead of God, instead of who he is. But if we do that, we miss him completely. Yeah. And that's why Jesus said, rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in the fact that demons are subject to you or that you're seeing healings or anything like that. Like our hope, our trust is in him and his nature and what he's accomplished. And so if we just focus on one small aspect, we miss the whole of it. So we have to see God for who he is and, and not even what we just want him to be or what we want to use him for. It's not about using him. It's about relationship. And I'm not against commanding, right? And commanding is good. It's a, it's a method. But if we just let it be a method, we miss God through it all in God's about harps and just to give a quick testimony for a friend of mine he a lady I don't remember what the situation was a lady needed prayer at a meeting that he was ministering at and God told him to dance with her well did <laughs> when he danced with her she got healed okay could he have commanded yes but there was something more to this God wanted to reveal to this lady because she was involved with dance prior to whatever the injury was that she had obtained. And this ministered to who, not just her physical body, but directly to her heart. And so if we understand that God's after hearts and not just after healing, then we'll be open to hearing him when he says, do something else that may not be a direct command. Yep. Yep. It's very key. And the reason why I don't spend a whole lot of time now talking about traditions of men is because when you know his nature, you can identify the lies so much easier. And so I don't over-focus on traditions of men because it's like, no, no, that goes against the very nature of God. So therefore, I know it's not true. And so the only thing, the only reason why we keep it in here is because we want you to understand that there's scriptural evidence proving the traditions of men wrong. Yeah. Because basically a tradition of man is established, you know, basically with Todd was saying, off an experience or trying to make a methodology off of an experience that they had one time or a couple of times. And so it works as long as, um, understand what I'm saying here, it'll work as long as you have faith in that method. But you don't want to have faith in the method right. when you can have faith in the source. Yeah. Okay, because when you have faith in the source, the method doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's no longer a formula that you're trying to make something happen. It's just letting his nature flow out of you and smack the person. So, for instance, um, we were in, well, been a lot of places, but in Brazil. And, you know, I had decided, I had been discussing with the team, you know, I, I don't want to see... Um, demons manifest because it's gonna like it's 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 shaming what god has placed such a high value on and it's unacceptable right so we went in started praying for people who had demons and giselle and 
couple others who are on the team there, um, they they can confirm what I'm showing you. They would jerk as soon as a demon would come off of them. They would just like jerk like that. They're like, what happened? It's like something left me. It's like, yeah, yeah, we know what, we know what that was. You know, <laughs> kind of smile and continue on. And then right before we left, we were in um, the last city in Tamachu. Uh, we were at a, a service and I had a, a different translator. And so this lady had a demon and it was very obvious. And so I had the pastor come up and just say, tell it to go. So she takes him by the hand and says, go right now in Jesus name. The lady just like her eyes get all big. And she's like, I, I need to be excused. Right. And she runs to the restroom and she like vomits everywhere. Right. And um, when she comes back out, she's completely healed, completely delivered. But, you know, I was like, OK, it's acceptable because it didn't happen and it didn't shame her in front of everybody. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, it was a different manifestation. But if I would say, well, no, 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 you know, she still has a demon because she didn't jerk. It's like, no, that doesn't make sense. It's like you can tell by the like the life, the change, her countenance was completely different. I didn't even almost didn't recognize her when she came back just because she looked way different. I don't know because she, she washed her makeup off or what, you know. But um, like I can tell, there was a huge change in her countenance. You know, I was just like, wow, this this is amazing. So we can't like lock in and say, well, this is how it's going to work. It's going to work this way 100 percent of the time. Or else we should all be walking around punching people in the stomach like Smith Wigglesworth, right? And so we can't see it from that perspective. We have to see it from exactly the way um, God, God's intention is. If we understand His nature, we understand His character, then then everything else works out great. So um, let's let's look at some of these sacred cows. Then I'll I'll let you dive into. Uh, your favorite one, Paul Thorne, and, <laughs> and and we'll talk about Timothy's stomach a bit. Um, so one of the ones that we do deal with on a regular basis as we travel around the world is um, that people believe that Jesus only gave the gift of healing to the 12 disciples, right? And which can be easily disproved when we look at when he sent out the 70. When we look at Mark 16, that believers lay hands on the sick. So it's not just to uh, the disciples or the apostles, but it's to everyone who believes on him. And so they, of course, they want to neglect responsibility of obedience in that area because of experience or, or something or just not basically just not wanting to take responsibility at all. You have anything to add to that? No. No. Okay. Um, also, I'm talking about Jesus healed to prove that He was God. So we hear that, and we actually heard that in, in Minnesota when we were there. Um, and so, you wanna you wanna take that one? <laughs> okay. Well, that's a okay. pretty easy one to. Uh, dispel because then you have to say that all of the disciples were God. You have to say Paul was God. You have to say the person that was in the Gospels that wasn't a part of the 12 that was casting out devils. You have to say he was God. 
and then you have all the Old Testament examples as well. So we know that that's just uh, yeah, it's just it's just not a true belief. Right. And it's like I said, it's it's very simple, especially once you know God's nature, and you see that God was uh, Jesus was demonstrating the very nature of the Father because we can go back to Colossians and see that the fullness of God indwelled Jesus' bodily, Jesus bodily. And so not only that, but we see also Hebrews 1.3, which I quote all the time, that Jesus is the exact imprint of, of God's nature, right? Um, I, so I, I just ask y'all real quick, is there any sacred cows you want y'all have on your heart or you've even thought about or things you've been challenged with? Feel free to, you can ask them in the comment section because you can see that a lot easier. Um, feel free to type away. Yep. So we'll wait for some of those. Well, while we're waiting for that, Todd, you want to go ahead and dive into uh, uh, Paul's thorn? Well, our understanding over the last, what, couple months, right, Anthony, <laughs> has changed. Uh, we were challenged by a brother in the Lord to look at some of the things in the Greek and to look at the scripture in a whole new way in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, right? Yeah, 2 Corinthians. So, um, classically, we've, well, people use that as a reason to uh, stay with a sickness or disease or some sort of infirmity in their body. Um, we've heard uh, persecution as a, as a main one, which uh, I don't know if that's totally ruled out of the equation, but it's still a possibility there. Uh, reading in context, it seems to be that Paul had a possibly a uh, issue with pride or people trying to elevate him to a place uh, um, of pride. And so that was one of the things that God could have been addressing there. But the big thing that we want to really point out is the fact that uh, when Paul prayed to God, he said, my, or excuse me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And for whatever reason, every other place in the New Testament, we see grace as a and this uh, very strong, powerful thing. But when we read this one, you go, oh, well, God's just saying, oh, here's my grace, and you just got to deal with it. Um, why do we read it that way? But everywhere else it's talking about, but it's by grace you've been saved, healed, delivered, preserved, and in health. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And so if that's the same powerful thing, well, then why would it be any different in this passage? And then it goes on to say, my grace is sufficient. Well, you look up the word sufficient in the Greek, it literally means to ward off. So what God's saying is my grace is powerful enough to ward off this attack that you're under. And if we start to view grace from that perspective, well, woo, awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it kind of blows everything else to the water. So it doesn't matter if it was physical. It doesn't matter if it was a demon. It doesn't matter what it was mm -hmm. because the focus has like I said, we've been focusing on the wrong thing, and as we focus in on 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 God and His grace, then that that revelation destroys anything else, any of the other excuses. Mm -hmm. You know. So um, we have Stefan said that I'm not sure if you already mentioned it. Ananias and Sapphira, why did they die? It's a very good question. <laughs> Um, when do we get asked on a regular basis? Um, Todd, you want me to go first? Or you wanna... Go ahead. Okay, so what we find is that 
and I, I use this example, and I don't know if Todd completely agrees with me or not, but you can see that Peter is the one who made the judgment, right? And the reason I say that is because we look at the context of what's what's happening in the scene. Ananias comes and brings the offering. He lies about how much was given or how much they sold the property for, not how much was was. Um, the, understand the whole dispute wasn't over how much they gave. It was that they lied about how much they were keeping back for themselves. Okay. And so you can see that he says, well, why, you know, why have you lied to the spirit of God? And as a result, he, he, it says that he has basically um, what I would say is equivalent to a heart attack, right? He gets, he got seized with fear and he fell over dead. So the reason I say it was a, a judgment by Peter, because at any time, if Peter didn't agree with what just happened, he could have raised him from the dead, right? Not only that, but as we, we go back and we look at um, how Ananias and Sapphira are mentioned, uh, the scholars say, and it's something I had looked into, they say that Ananias and Sapphira weren't believers, and if that holds true, then it's even more reason for Peter to raise them from the dead, right? With the understanding of, hey, I can I can raise them from the dead so that they can know Christ and walk with him instead of, you know what I mean? Trying not to present a humanistic uh, <laughs> look at this, but I want you to understand, like, if it's what Jesus paid for, then why am I going to allow these people to go to hell? You know what I mean? You got anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we can't give a definitive answer. I do know if we were to take the chapter break out of the, out of there, it would be their use in a, as a sharp contrast to Barnabas in the, at the end of the previous chapter. What is that, four going into five? Where Barnabas gave all. Right, and then you had these two Ananias and Sapphira that were uh, giving a portion, and that, as Brother Anthony pointed out, lied about what they did. And I've heard the what Anthony was saying about them being unbelievers. Um, I had a friend who I have not had have a friend that believes that they were business people that uh, saw the prosper uh, prosperity of the church and thought they wanted to be able to get in on this and. Uh, Peter through the Holy Spirit read their hearts, but like Brother Anthony pointed out, if that was the case, why didn't he raise them from the dead? So there are questions there. Um, another thing to take a look at, I've heard it taught this is uh, this way as well, is that there's an actual picture going on here with Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Ananias, um, in sharp contrast to the other Ananias prophet in Acts chapter nine, right? The, the, word, the word there means grace, right? Uh, so Ananias refers to grace. Sapphira um, means sapphire, and Jewish tradition holds that the law was written on the sapphire tablets. And so some teach that this is what happens when you mix the law and grace that actually results in death. And so that's a possible picture that's being pointed out there as well. Um, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with any of it. I'm just sharing some different perspectives. Yeah, the one thing that I can definitely tell you that we see consistent even through Acts and um, even with Jesus' life himself 
is that when he declared something, when he made a judgment, it came to pass. And so we can see Paul with the Simon, or that was Simon the sorcerer, one of there was a sorcerer. He cursed him to be blind until he repented, right? And then when they repented, they became unblind. Uh, we can see that in Acts. So we can see that that God actually gives us, you know, um, a right of. I mean, it's we're sons, right? So if we if we do something inside the house, he honors it, uh, and we don't ever see Paul, uh, Peter ever do anything like it ever again. It was a one-time deal. So we we can say, basically, um, that you know he he realized his error as he grew grew, grew and matured, uh, but he arguing from a place of silence. So a lot of it, like you know, uh, Todd's saying, we we really can't say, just you know, basically just from different contexts and, and different things that we can see through Scripture. Um, that's why I lean towards more of uh, he made a judgment himself. Okay. So the other one we got is God wants to use God won't use a dirty vessel. You have to clean yourself up for God to move in your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, then that would mean that nobody could walk in power. I mean, if we're honest, right? So who sanctifies you? Who cleans you up? It's God. It, it's it's by His grace that we see these things. You're talking about like let's talk about um, gifts of the Spirit, right? So it's, uh, effects of grace of the Spirit is actually what it. It's I mean of the Spirit. Effects of grace. Uh, Spiritual effects of a grace, uh, grace effects. <laughs> um, when we look at 1 Corinthians 12, it, it says in earlier passages that they're the most carnal church. They had a guy sleeping with his, his stepmother, possibly, maybe his mother, something like that, right? They had sin running rampant. Um, all these things that are being dealt with, you can see it in chapter 6, you can see it in chapter 5, you can see... You know, he's dealing with all this carnality, but he says in there as far as spiritual, spirituals, spiritual things, spiritual aspects, they're behind to no one. Right? So if that statement held any water or was true in any slightest of a bit, then it means that the Corinthian church wouldn't have seen the power of God at all. It's just that they understood the grace of God. From, from the context and looking at it, they understood the grace of God so much more because of where they're coming out of. So it was easy for them to enter into seeing the effects of grace because they understood grace um, from a carnal or from a from a certain degree. Because if they truly understood grace, then they would live above sin. And that's what Paul's admonishing them in in the Corinthian letters is to exit out of sin and then live into Christ by focusing in Christ, realizing they have the mind of Christ, because it was them he tells them that they have the mind of Christ. Right? And we can see that to the first Corinthians three, I think, Todd, something like that. Two. 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 Yep. And so you can see how how all this actually comes together. And he's talking to them, the carnal people, the babies, the, the immature infants, you know, throwing a fit, throwing a temper tantrum. You know, those are the ones he's saying they're lacking behind in, in no effects of grace. So it's it's not understand doesn't mean you stay there. 
if, if you're immature and you can admit that you're immature, you don't stay there. You start maturing. You start growing up into Christ Jesus. And, and you move on past that and by understanding of who Christ is in you and the nature he's giving you. And that's the what you see that's Paul's solution every single time. Mm-hmm. is He's pointing them back towards the nature of God and how, how Christ is and that he had the very nature of God. And he's explaining everything out. And you can see it in Colossians. You can see it in Romans. You can see it. And he uses different terminology every single time. You're no longer slaves of sin. You're slaves of righteousness, right? Um, the old self has passed away, and you have a new self in, in Christ Jesus. And so he's explaining to them the contrast between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and it's it's really, really good. I'm done? Yeah, and, uh, I mean, everything you said was was great there. And, I mean, just keeping in mind, it's, it's, it is all about grace. Um, if we could clean ourselves, then what was the purpose of Jesus? Right. And, uh, you know, Paul warned, I mean, letter to Romans and uh, other places, he talked about, we, we do have a choice, right? Are we going to use this grace to continue to sin? Certainly not. You know, are we going to take our members and are we going to yield them to righteousness or are we going to yield them to sin? We have a choice in all that, but it's still his grace is what enables us to walk free and clean. So it's not something that we're able to do ourselves. The more we yield to that and to his nature, then the more we're going to exhibit that. Yeah, it says one thing I've recently come upon is Christians still believing we are sinners with a sinful nature, um, even after being born again. So I would ask him, so what are you born again into? You know? How are you born again? What's the purpose of being born again? Right? It's to get them to start thinking critically about where what they've been taught because they're just regurgitating something they heard the pastor say. So you find that as you ask questions, um, it gets people to start thinking, okay, wait a second. Yeah, you're right. So no, that's not what I mean. Um, it's like, okay, you either believe the Bible or you don't because you don't find – that were sinners, um, that were continued sinners saved by grace anywhere. Because you're either saved by grace or you're a sinner. Mm-hmm. Right? You're still under the wrath of God or you're free from the wrath of God. It's not, oh, we're, we're, we're straddling the fence. No, because God says himself he's going to spew those people out of his mouth because they're neither hot nor cold. Yep. So you don't want to be one of those people. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of scriptures that they have to really think about. I mean, quoted Ephesians 2 earlier, and, you know, it says to remember you past Gentile sinners, you know, but at the right time God sent his son, and uh, also in Colossians where it says, you have been delivered out of the power of darkness, and translated as the kingdom of the son of his love. And so, I mean, there's all these, it doesn't make any sense to even think that we're still sinners when the scripture is very clear that it's he's taken us out of those things. Um, let me see if anybody put anything over here. So, I see, okay. I yeah, we'll answer those questions in a bit. Um, one question here is like, we're all sinners saved by grace. Well, it's like Brother Anthony is saying, either you're a sinner or you're saved by grace. So it's by grace you are saved through faith or you're not. 
it's it's one or the other. There's there's no middle ground there. So uh, let's talk about Timothy's stomach a little bit. Um, Todd had brought up a perspective I hadn't taken into consideration than um, I had heard before, but I really didn't think a whole lot of. And because a lot of people say, well, you know, well, God, God wanted everybody healed, then how come he, he didn't heal Timothy's stomach? So what do you have to say to that? <laughs> um, there's a couple different perspectives on Timothy. And I mean, first of all, nowhere does it say that Timothy was never healed, right? It says to drink a little wine because of his often infirmities. And when you look that up in the Greek, it's implying that these were infirmities that would um, come and go. So it could be that he got it, was prayed for, healed, and then he at some point would get it, get it again. And that's where the idea that possibly uh, from the water in the area that he was getting sick and because if you drink about, if he was drinking bad water, that could do it. And he was, you know, you know, he was growing up into the stature of Christ. So if that was the case, he hadn't reached that aspect yet. You know, it's not a judgment on Timothy. We're all growing. Uh, that's just, but using that as an idea that we'll see Timothy was sick all the time uh, to try to rule out healing is it's ridiculous. Um, another idea, and uh, you can get this from the different things that Paul was encouraging him in, was Timothy possibly was struggling with a lot of stress and anxiety. I mean, he was telling him to, uh, I don't have the, all those passages right in front of me, but you know, telling them, you've not been given a spirit of fear. Don't be anxious. He's tell, telling them all these things. So why was he telling him of those things unless possibly he was wrestling with those things? And if that's the case, being someone who used to wrestle with that myself, that will stir up some major bad stuff in your digestive tract. Um, acid, heartburn, um, indigestion, just all kinds of bad stuff. So if he was struggling with those things, he would definitely physically be having that and uh, just so you know yes I was healed of it and I was healed of it when I said God you're good and I just surrendered it and everything went away in an instant yeah so we have a question here it says could Timothy drink a little wine uh, be his be needing to partake in communion with Christ Timothy drinking a little wine to be his needing to partake in communion with Christ. Um, I won't say that that's wrong. It could very well be. Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, that's that's um, another area I haven't really thought of in it. Uh, it doesn't talk about the body, though, right? So we know there's a body that was broken for our healing. Um, so that one, you'd be arguing basically from a place of silence because it doesn't, even the context of it doesn't connect the two. So you got to be careful with that. Um, so I would still lean towards more um, for water purposes, but even more for the probiotics that are in wine naturally. To help your digestive system so i can tell you as i've traveled all over the world um i have seen my stomach act crazy okay so we were up in the mountains in bolivia and my stomach shrunk you know and as we went back down from the mountains you know 
and when we went to Brazil, I was eating like crazy. You know, gas daisy. I was I was an eating machine, right? And then as soon as we went back up into Bolivia again, stomach shrunk again. I could barely eat anything, and I was a little frustrated. Uh, but also with that came traveler's stomach. The world still talks about that, right? Um, um, it's a it's an issue common today for travelers. So people they do different things to to deal with not getting traveler's stomach. So they'll they'll carry food with them that they normally eat on a regular basis, like snacks or junk food or something like that. So when they're out traveling, they snack on the junk food because it helps bring balance to the, their digestive system. Uh, because you're you're eating foods and stuff, even though it might be the same, the same, it's really not at the micro level, right? Because it has different parasites, there's different things. Maybe, you know, here in the States, I can tell you, after traveling everywhere in the States, we have water chicken. Okay, doesn't taste like chicken <laughs> or anything. <laughs> the taste of chicken you think you know is not the taste of chicken. Okay, as we've gone into some of the the countries we've been, the the chicken tastes so much more rich and there's flavor and and everything that comes from it. And if you actually look it up, you can see that the chickens are injected with hormones and water and all kinds of other stuff at the grocery stores. So that explains that. Uh, but don't worry. You know, anything you eat or drink, you cannot harm me. You're in Christ Jesus. So let's see what else we got here. Uh, it says, he wouldn't drink it for the probiotics, but as Jesus' blood and for healing is the way I see it. Yeah, you, again, you'd be arguing from a place of silence because it doesn't say that anywhere there. Right, and just from a practicality standpoint, um, the alcohol in it would help kill whatever is in there and also like I, I did some research on it and the wine would have helped like if he was having stress and anxiety would have helped with that as well um, so yeah it's like Anthony's saying it's it's all perspectives and uh, saying it's the Lord's Supper why isn't the uh, body included in there Paul would have included that and so it's um, Possibility, but it's still like Anthony saying, arguing from a place of silence. Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and let's transition into some some questions and answers. Okay. So let's go down here. So first question we have is: We are at the street parade today, praying for people, uh, praying with people. They are so open for God but how do I get them to wanting more than just prayer, praying a prayer to go to heaven? I always tell them to ask the Lord that he reveals himself to them because he will. Okay. So um, one thing that I found as I've been sharing on the streets and, and everything that has made a huge change and impact, even, even as I've traveled in, in, in teaching, as I share about the very nature of God, the very heart of God, um, it's good news. And because a lot of people, they've never heard um, basically what we've been sharing. I had never heard it. And so as diving in and looking exactly as I'm sharing, you know, that God's, God's nature and heart and the value that he places on them is so much more um, speaking to them, and it's it's not the death and destruction and everything uh, that the world will teach. 
Now, don't get me wrong, you know, we can talk about hell and stuff like that, but that shouldn't be the motivator because you don't want to motivate somebody by fear because the fear eventually goes away or something more fearful comes along, right? But if you're motivated by love, love is, is the greatest motivator because it inspires loyalty, it inspires honor and respect and, and adoration and everything else, right, that, that blossoms from that instead of hate and anger and bitterness and offense. You know what I mean? Because you become a slave to fear. So whenever you see love, you speak life into somebody. So a lot of times, um, I understand, you know, a lot of times you're just sowing seeds, right? So you're going out there, you understand, you know, Mark 4, that the word of God is the seed sown into their hearts. So a lot of times I'll quote scripture to them without actually giving a reference because I want them to understand that it's God speaking directly to them. And then I also let them know the value that God has placed on them. So even before I pray for someone, uh, I don't necessarily um, go straight into praying for them. I talk to them a bit first. I ask them questions. And as I've seen myself shift this direction, this change, and as soon as they, they get prayed for and they're healed, it opens up so much more. Now they have questions because now they've seen the evidence of, of the nature of God and, and, and his heart and his love and adoration for them that now they're like, oh, like, what did you, what did you do to me? It's like, I didn't do nothing to you. This is, this is God's nature. He is healer. And he, he placed such a value on you that he gave his only begotten son so that you don't have to live in the kingdom of darkness anymore because he has a plan for your life. And nobody can do what he has planned for you, you know, different things like that, where you're just speaking life into them. Um, and it's not something that you say very generically or anything like that, because it's, it's a hundred percent true. There's people you can reach that I can't reach, you know, there's people you can talk to that I, I, I if I talk to, they would just dismiss me. We've seen that on the streets as well. We are in Bolivia, um, went and tried to talk to this couple, uh, and they just dismissed us. One of the girls goes and talks to them. And they talk for, for like 15 minutes. I'm like, hey, like <laughs> they totally like shut us down. But as soon as um, somebody that wasn't offensive to them, I guess, or, or, or whatever, then they gave audience to the person and they were able to minister to them and love on them. And it changed the whole situation to where um, we were even able to go over and enter in, back into the conversation as well. And it wasn't awkward or anything like that because they began to understand our heart. So it's all these things, they come into play and you begin to see it's, it's about speaking life and understanding your words are seeds and they have power. And also just coming to the place of realizing it's not your responsibility to get anyone to want more. Yeah. Um, you be the vessel that God has made you to be. And, you know, Jesus worked miracles and people missed it. They didn't want it. You know, it said light came into the world, but the darkness didn't couldn't grab hold of what was going on you know he went to places that they didn't they didn't want him they didn't bring the people in the streets for him to play for he just laid hands on a few sick people and and uh, healed them so just recognizing get the responsibility off your shoulders you just be obedient to what god's telling you to do and uh and you're gonna see awesome things happen and this is another thing i know this is one of the things i'm working on in my own life is we've been uh taught so much about praying, getting the prayer to 
pray to heaven, but this is, there's, there's more. And if we incorporate more of our gospel about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to already be putting that food out there. And if they're interested in having that in their life, well, then the door is going to be open and it's not a whole separate conversation that we have to do because it's already been presented like Paul did with the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's that's very key is um, I don't do the salvation prayer with anybody. I don't talk to them about going to heaven or any of that. Um, whenever I present Jesus Christ and when I present the gospel to them, I tell them, hey, if you want this life, you have to lay down your life. I'm telling them exactly what Jesus told his disciples. You count the cost. Make sure that you're able to finish the building if you start it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something serious. It's going to cost you everything, but you're going to gain everything. Because what is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, right? And so all these different scriptures, like I use on a regular basis to show them that the severity of, of, of accepting or not accepting, but making Jesus their Lord, right? Because we can easily say, you know, well, I want to I wanna make Jesus my Lord. I want to say a salvation prayer. Okay, I'm saved. And then tomorrow they change their mind, right? But if they understand... So I always use the phrase, so what you're saying right now, if if you're going to do this, you don't have to decide right now. You can decide on your own much later, right? So I I learned this from um, David Platt, who's actually a Baptist minister. He's like, you don't need to decide right now. You can do this on your own. You can do this in your room. It's a decision. It's not a prayer, right? And so what you're saying is that you're ready to be married to Jesus Christ for eternity. Because we're called the bride of Christ, right? So I don't tell them that. I just said, so you're going to be married to Jesus Christ for eternity. And it, it blows people away because they're like, oh, that, that's pretty serious. Because everybody understands that marriage carries that severity to it. And so for eternity, no, it's not like we can just break it off, you know, and get divorced. No, 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 no. It's for eternity. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it, it helps start changing the gears on how they're thinking about actually following and devoting their lives and picking up the cross and laying down their life and, you know, complete surrender, which is, it changes everything. All right. Next one is who would, who would be some good Bible teachers that you'll recommend if you feel like saying, (laughs) um, there's, there's a lot, honestly, there's a lot. The, the main thing is is that you you test all things. You, you test everything. First uh, Thessalonians five uh, was that twenty one something like that. It is where you make sure that you go back and you and you prove that what they're saying is true. So even as I'm teaching, even even everything that I'm saying, go back and see if you can prove it right or prove it wrong. If you can prove it wrong, then then only hold on to what you can prove right. You see what I'm saying? And so it's important that you go back and you study this out. It doesn't matter who's teaching. You need to go back and dig it out for yourself because if you don't, it doesn't matter who's teaching. I can tell you I listen to like Dan Moeller because I, I don't know many people who understand um, the the new nature or the, the new creation. You can put it that way. Um, with the depth and, and, and revelation 
that he he has in that area. Uh, do I agree with everything he says? No, I don't. Okay, because in in my perception, he kind of view he kind of leans a little to the hyper grace side, and he says he does, uh, just because he doesn't believe in hyper grace. Understand what I'm saying? He's kind of leans to that side of the road, while I kind of lean more towards um, the word, um, for lack of better terms, the legalistic side. Is I rather stick with the word over somebody's opinion. Don't that, that makes sense? You understand what I'm saying? So it's important that whatever you do, that you understand that it's that you can research. You go back and you see if that's exactly what the word of God says. And, and that's what you hold to. That's what you take that's good and you hold on to, not all the excess stuff. Um, like, for instance, there was a guy um, within like five minutes of meeting him. He goes off in this whole rant about, you know, God God didn't call us to be fruit inspectors. And I'm like, okay, where did you get that from? Because it says we will know them by their fruit, right? So uh, that's wrong. You know what I mean? So it's just like different things like that, just knowing scripture. And, and because if you know scripture, you know God's heart, you know his, his motives and everything. And so a lot of people use that to kind of bypass um, the feeling of condemnation or rejection or anything like that. So you kind of see the heart of people and what they're actually trying to communicate. Not that I judge him by what he said, but it let me know where he's at and, and how to conduct myself around them, not to quench the fire that God was starting in his life. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good teachers on the various topics out there, like Brother Anthony was saying, is what do you want revelation is? And and so like he was mentioning again, Muller has an amazing revelation on the new creation. And as with anything, like Brother Anthony was saying, we need to test everything, right? We're all growing in our understanding. You know, what I believed a year ago is different than what I believe today. And so we need we need to understand that. You know, I was uh, Jen loves listening to Joyce Meyer. My wife yeah, loves listening to her, and you know, I love listening to Joyce Meyer too. You know, there was one one episode we were watching, and I counted three scriptures in the half hour episode that she took right out of context and to use to support some. So, does that mean I'm going to write her off because of one episode? No, because most of what she's saying is absolutely amazing. So. Um, we don't write people off because of, you know, they have, you know, maybe fail in one area, but 90% of what they do is right. And so we just need to have grace for one another and know they're growing, we're growing, and we learn from them what we can, and hopefully they can learn from us as well. Okay, real quick. Um, go back up. So we're there in the chat, it says, um, what do you view as the biggest doctrinal practical difference in what you are teaching and walking out today in that of J.J. Um Actually, I can tell you very simply that uh, about 50 to 75% of what I'm teaching today goes explicitly against what the DHT training does uh, because it teaches – if we go back and we're able to dissect what the DHT actually trains you to do, and it's to operate out of your soul. You know, you raise your voice, you lower your voice, you do this, you do that, right? All out of the soul and all out of you trying to work to make something happen. So now you're entered back into works um, to make something happen instead of resting in Christ Jesus, understanding his nature 
and resting in his nature. Now, as far as when I go to pray for somebody, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference because it's not about what I say, it's about what I believe. Okay? So I can go to somebody, I can grab their hand and say, be healed in Jesus' name, and they'll be healed. Right? And I don't have to sling snot and everything else to work myself up to see this person healed because it's not by my um, understanding. My human spirit is by the spirit of God. It's out of his nature, the overflow of his nature that, that comes through and impacts and, and hits people. And that's what I covered in the, in the first uh, session or uh, second session about the five five words for power and understanding dunamis is, means an inherent power by virtue of a nature or of a thing's nature, a person's nature. <laughs> Excuse me. In, in our instance, it's um, referring to to Jesus, to, to God's nature. So the power comes as as a byproduct. And also the DHT focuses on authority and dominion, right? Which is a byproduct of the very nature of God. And that's why I talk about light, right? The God is light and in him dwells no darkness. So light doesn't have to exercise or strive to exert authority and dominion. It just naturally does. And it's the same thing with God. When God steps into the scene, he doesn't have to try to, oh, my presence is here. Let me try to struggle to push back darkness. No, no, no. When we see in the Old Testament, you know, when, when the manifestation of, of his presence showed up, what happened? And he immediately pushed back darkness. Right? And when Jesus entered into a scene, when he walked into a situation, immediately darkness left. So it's not about, well, he struggled and he strived to make it happen. No, no. That's all, it's all man-made tradition. Because the thing is, is if, if we look at it, we can easily see that... Um, it, it's all becomes about us and what we do and how we make it happen. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And we miss him completely because we don't know his heart. We're not in relationship with him. And we end up just like the people in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And, and where they exercise power, they prophesied in his name. They healed people in his name. And Jesus said, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so it's very important that we know him. We know the essence of him. And we're in a relationship with him. And is, is there authority in him? Yes, there is. But it's not my focus. My focus is him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of like knowing somebody rich. If you hang around the person just because they're rich, as soon as they stop being gracious or generous to you, what happens? You're going to stop hanging around them? No, you have the wrong motive. Your heart's in the wrong place. But if they're a genuine friend and they just happen to be rich, then you hang around them because you love them and you enjoy their company. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. You see, there's a completely different motivation of heart. And so if you just hyper-focus on dominion authority, doesn't mean your motivation's in the right place, that your heart's in the right place. And that's why we cover that on day one, is making sure you have your motivation in the right place. And your motivation should be for the glory of God and for him and, and, and pressing into him and seeking him and, and getting to know him and drawing close to him and not what you can get from him. And that's those are major major differences. Um, it says, "How important is renewing the mind after or as part of deliverance?" Do you uh, do you have any case in the last time where it was necessary that people renew their mind after being delivered, or to guide them into freedom, or would you just believe for total restoration and pray? And everything is done at once. Okay. 
Um, let's take a section of time because you asked three different questions in, in your question. Okay. <laughs> so um, how important is renewing of the mind as part of deliverance? I would say um, to keep their deliverance, they would need to renew their mind. And understand, I'm, I'm going to have to kind of dial back a little bit and explain what I consider mind renewal. Mind renewal is simply expressed by doing the word of God. That's the quickest way to renew your mind. It's not by confessions and, and declarations and stuff like that. No, no, no. Because then you're trying to convince yourself to believe something. If you don't believe something from your heart, then you're not mixing it with faith. So it's not going to profit you anything. Okay? But if, but if you're entering in um, by saying, because God, I know his nature. I know he's not going to lie to me. I can be obedient to his word, and it's going to produce this result. Then you can step into it and say, I'm going to do this. And as you do it, you renew your mind to his word. Right? And that's how you quickly renew your mind. The fastest way to learn a job is not if I sit here and give you a manual and instructions on how to put to get together a desk, but by actually demonstrating and showing you how to put together the desk step by step. And the more that you do it, what happens? You get faster, you get more effective, you get more efficient, right? What are you doing? You're renewing your mind on an action that produces a result. And it's, it's the same thing that happens with mind renewal for us today. That's why it's not talked about a lot in scripture. It's because it's it's expected to do exactly what God has told us to do, right? He says, you show your love toward me by being obedient to my commandments. And we can see that in John 15 very clearly that he wants us to do his word. And we do his word, not because we're required to or anything like that, um, Understand it's it's not out of an obligation or striving to make something happen, but it's because of the nature we have. We can't help but be obedient to the new nature we have, and we can't help but do his word. And as a result, it produces a renewed mind, a mind of Christ. You got anything to add? Um, I mean, not really. You, I mean, you covered a lot and you hit, hit everything there, and that's just one of those things. The more we bring back, we get back to... God's nature and character, and we get back to the pure gospel and what the gospel really is, uh, and we're going to see deliverances happen at the point when they surrender their lives to Christ, because those things can't stay where there's a new creation, because the old creation there was under their influence, and now they've exchanged lords and been brought into a brand new kingdom. Once in that kingdom, um, yeah, there's going to be mind renewal. Like Brother Anthony said, we're not going to be able to declare ourselves into believing right you can go into a self-help section of a bookstore and uh pick up a lot of books and that's exactly what they're doing um i know somebody who was trying to do that with a job had pictures of the per uh, herself all over the place and was just wondering, i'm gonna be this i'm gonna be that i'm gonna you know whatever it's just resting and believing that god did what he said he did and renewing our mind to the fact that we have died and that's him who lives in us. Yep. And we once we realize that, that it's all about him, that it's not us at all, you know, and it's helping people to really understand that when, when they're in them. So to answer the question, is mind renewal important? It's very important. Is it important to get people delivered? No, but it's important to help them stay delivered and uh, stay walking in what Jesus paid for. Yep. 
And just to answer the rest of it is, yeah, I believe for complete restoration 100% of the time. And then um, basically just kind of um, making sure that we we try to, as much as possible in, in the time that we have, um, trying to invest in them to, to where they begin to, um, basically you become like Jesus. You start becoming a wordsmith so that you say the exact words they need to hear and that's not because you're thinking, well, I need to say this, 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 and this, but you're just relying on him, throwing your heart and your trust completely in him, surrendering to him. And what you find that you end up prophesying, you end up edifying and encouraging people, and it's exactly what they need to hear to help them carry on. But you have to understand that's going to be prophecy or edification comes through um, you, um your own paradigm. So how you how you view things is how it comes out. If you have an old testament or an old covenant paradigm, it's going to come out that way. If you have a new covenant paradigm, it's going to fil- it's going to filter to that, and it'll be way more effective. And you'll see it it makes a huge difference. It's it's totally freeing. I never think about what I'm going to say. I wait till the Holy Spirit, you know, shares with me, or I start edifying them with Scripture, and it just flows from there. So we can go ahead. Uh, I know we have a bunch more questions. It says. Um, how are some ways you hear God, and how do you discern His voice from yours and Satan's? Boy, where do we start with that one? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's actually very simple. It, it really is. It's it's just knowing His word, because He's not going to say anything contrary to His word, right? Because it's it's Him. It's it's an it's an extension of Him. So when God tells you to do something. You have to be, what I'm saying is the, the foundation has to be solely on his word and his nature. So if you understand his nature, then you begin to understand his word. And and from that, you view so many other things, right? So it's it's very key that as we look at this, um, it's not, um, how would you say that? Um it's, it's not getting into mysticism. There you go. So because we can say, well, I'm just going to listen to God. I'm not going to pay attention to his word. And we've seen that in the body of Christ throughout history. But if we if we get into that, then what we believe that God's saying contradicts his word. And then we're trying to mix it and trying to justify it. And, and then it ends up in the mess and a whole bunch of air. And we've seen that over and over through history. But if we understand that his word is a platform, it's the foundation. And from that, when he tells us something we can build upon it, it makes a difference. So you can tell if it's yourself because it's something you're, you're constantly thinking about. Um, even if you think, understand, when you start meditating on his word, you will have tons of God dreams because you're opening yourself to hear from him directly. Okay. Um, us, what do we, what does the soul, the carnal mind want to do? It wants to focus on what you see. Um, you know, different things that are impacting you around or impacting around you. And the, the devil is the easiest. So let me skip to the devil real quick. The devil is John 10, 10. The devil comes to still kill and destroy. He comes to accuse. He comes to threaten and, and, and cause chaos. He causes confusion. So if you're, if you're confused about something, okay, you know that, okay, more than likely isn't from God because God's not going to bring you confusion. Because he's not the author of confusion, right? And so, <clears throat> all these things also, if it, it, it sparks fear, 
fear of, of self-preservation, fear of, um, you know, the unknown or whatever, all that, it's from the devil. Just throw it out. So, you know, when it's you, um, and it, it should grow to where you and him merge into one, right? Because you have the mind of Christ. So you, you merge into one, you become one. And so all your thoughts are always thinking on his word. And as you, you constantly think on his word, then you begin viewing naturally everybody through that lens. So I can tell you, as I go out and do my daily stuff, <clears throat> I start asking God about people. God, what do you want to tell them? How do I reach these people? Right? So I'm no longer thinking, oh, I'm trying to accomplish my own ends. I'm thinking, how do I be more effective? Yeah. How, do I, how do I be Jesus to these people? See, my mind's completely shifted to where I'm not looking at where I'm at, a circumstance or anything like that. I'm thinking bigger. I'm thinking his word. I'm thinking applying his word to the situation. And, you know, to add into there, uh, this actually, could, what I'm going to say, go back to what people were asking about, you know, sinners saved by grace thing. One of the things that they keep, the scriptures that they use to keep people in that place of sinners saved by grace or sinners is Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. Uh, but the, that's one scripture. We realize Jeremiah 24, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, Acts 15, 9. All these scriptures talk about a new heart. Okay. And so in that new heart, in Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, Hebrews chapter 10, tells us that he's written his commands upon our hearts. And so if we believe that we're new creations and we have his commands upon our heart, then we need to learn to trust our hearts and that God did what he said he did. Colossians chapter 3 says that let the peace of God serve as umpire in our hearts. And so that's going to be one way you can discern is because we're oftentimes we're trying to hear God up here when we should be listening down here a lot of times. So because here's where the peace is going to reside. And to answer the other question, how are some ways you hear God? Well, there's, there's honestly, there's lots of ways. <laughs> um, God can speak to you through a scripture. He can speak to you through dreams, like Brother Anthony was saying. Um, he can speak to you audibly. Um, a lot of times, he, I mean, I've had it happen twice in my life, and one of it was because I was walking completely contrary to a direction he wanted me to go, and he had to tell me audibly to get me to change direction. And so um, he did it. I was actually in a single-stall bathroom, and I was in there, and I heard, Todd, lay down the aviary. I was like, where did that come from? All right, so uh, he can do that. Uh, he can, if you're getting a word of knowledge, it could be a pain in the body in that location, um, it could be a thought. Uh, I was walking with a buddy of mine through a mall, and he got a pain in his elbow at the exact same time that I had a thought that there, this cashier over here uh, has pain in her elbow. So we both had the exact same word of knowledge, but God spoke to us differently about that word of knowledge, and it turned out that she did, and God healed her. Yeah. And so, yeah, he can, he can talk to you through his word. He can talk to you uh, through other people. He can talk to you directly, and you can he'll he'll talk to you through your five senses. So you might see something immediately. You know it's God speaking to you because it witnesses with your spirit. Um, you can you can hear him. You can even smell something, and God is reminding you of certain things. You can taste something, and God is reminding you of certain things. And so he he's 
he's so creative to communicate to us because sometimes we don't take the time to listen to him, right? Because that's what it boils down to. But so we got a bunch more questions. We're trying to finish up before the recording stops because we miss a bunch of them. It says, when approaching someone on the street, how do you engage somebody without scaring them off? Um, show yourself friendly mm -hmm. to have friends. So don't go with the agenda of, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to attack this person and I'm going to see him be able to deliver. You know, go with them as you're, you're, you're going to meet a new friend. Go with that mentality. And you'll see it, it changes. It changes because you're like, hey, you never know. They could, they could end up being your best friend. Mm -hmm. And so you want to go just out of love and, and care for them. And you'll see it changes how people even um, respond to you. Yeah, there's lots of different ways. Uh, like yesterday, uh, my wife and I went to the grocery store, and a guy came out. He had one of those boots on his leg, and uh, I was like, "Wow, that must have been some karate tournament." And uh, it ended up, you know, it broke the ice because it was funny, and you know, he, he let me pray for him. And uh, so sometimes it lightens the mood, and other times people are just uninterested. You try to engage them, and they continue off and just don't get into condemnation and move on to the next person and sometimes you uh maybe stand next to somebody and they're looking at something in the store and you're like oh wow hey uh what is that you're looking at can you tell me a little bit about that and all of a sudden you're in a conversation with them about it and then say hey i noticed that you have a um brace on your wrist what you know what's going on there so there's lots of ways to do it and it's just loving people and don't look at healing as the goal having them encounter god is the goal okay and uh maybe just through building relationship with them um, maybe praying for the healing will come at a later date but you're after god's after their heart and that should be our goal as well yeah yeah but even as you step out you'll see you know love never fails so if you operate in love, you'll see them healed 100% of the time anyways. So, yeah. So don't look at them as a project. Look at them as a person and, and care for them and be sensitive to their emotions and what's going on as well. So next one is, when discipling someone, what do you believe are the, the, the most important things to get nailed down for a strong foundation? And how do you usually go about the discipleship process? Okay, so... Basically, I look for people who are who are hungry, because when you, whenever you start discipling somebody, you don't want somebody you have to chase down. When did you ever do that, mm -hmm. right? He didn't chase down any of his disciples. His disciples followed him. So it comes this give and take, right? So as soon as you identify somebody who wants to be discipled, you ask them, "Hey, would you be interested in, in being discipled?" Let's say you lead somebody to the Lord immediately ask them, hey, would you be interested in, in me mentoring you and training you so that you can grow up into Christ faster, right? 